likes shows like me that are like fixer-upper shows? We gotta raise your hand. Come on, be honest. We like those, right? Rearranging your house, doing things a little bit different. Or maybe it's like this old house videos where this old guy goes in. This is how you hang a door. This is how you put a plug in. I, I love those things. I know you do too, right? Because you're always changing your house up. But we like looking at people, how we arrange and rearrange things. My wife's doing that all the time. New pillows. Want to move it here. Want to do this. The rearranging. That's great. That's part of just who we are. I like to make things a little new and fresh. Well, my wife and I had gone to Charlotte, North Carolina. We were there two weeks ago. We got back about a week ago. And uh, we were there to have my, my son's third child, which is our 15th grandchild. So we, yeah, great, one hand. Wow, they made it. They lived. That, that's, that's my kids. All right, there's my family. But it was, it was amazing to be there. So great. My wife and I on the flight there were saying, we're going to do things different this year. Now, they were there last year, so they have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. So that's kind of my duty is kind of do that. And Deanna's more to help the baby. And so we're there to do that. So last year, we thought this is a gift. First of all, we're saying, why is the silverware in that drawer? And why are the glasses in this drawer? And we're rearranging the kitchen. You have good parents, right? Making it look like functional. Why wouldn't you dishwasher to go right here? Why are the kids, you know, think, you know. So then, well, we can, that's not enough. We go to the kids' bedroom. So we rearranged the clothes because a lot of them were stacked. So we thought, we're just going to make this look better. Well, when they came home three days later, Adam was going, hey, where's the, I, I don't know, ask, ask your mom, where's this guy? I don't know. And then I'm going, well, maybe it's over there. Oh, yeah, I put that way up there. Dad, we use that every day. Guess what we did? We stepped over their toes, right, on their toes. We began to manage their house. And that's not our house. So really, as we talk today, I want you to think about who has the right to rearrange your life and my life. We're going to be talking about the triumphal in entry of Jesus. We're in chapter 21 of Matthew, so raise your hands if you don't have a Bible. It will be on the screens, but raise your hand because I'm going to go through a lot of Scripture. You can try to stay up with me. I guess the notes didn't get there, so there are a lot of them are not going to be on there, so you're going to have to use your own Bibles or some of those on there. So Matthew 21, this is Jesus is coming to Jerusalem as king. You there? Chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethedge on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on the colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on, to, on them for Jesus to sit on. Then a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, uh, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, those that followed, shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred 
and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and then he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, get this, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The blind, the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the teacher of the law saw what wonderful things he had done with the children, shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, he replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Let's pray. Father, as we unpack your word, as we walk through this passage, I pray that our minds and our thoughts are geared up to hear you speak to us now. I pray, Father, that your spirit moves through this message. That, Father, that you hear, have our ears open and attentive. Our eyes that we just read the scripture are read, but read our hearts. Help us to hear this. Help us to apply this into our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just want to give you a little background, just a little bit of what's going on. First of all, we've, you know, we've been in Matthew, we're in chapter 21, all the way up the first 20 chapters... It's leading up to what this final week is. This is the last final days of Jesus' life. What would you be doing one week from now if you knew that, that was the end of your life? This is what Jesus was facing, what he knew he was facing as he's walking into Jerusalem. Two-fifths of Matthew is written about these days. Two-fifths of the whole the gospel is written about this. A little background about Jerusalem Temple and Passover, just because it helps us understand. Jerusalem was the epicenter of the Jewish life. It was that social area, that economic, it was religious. It was the place to go. Jerusalem was, Jerusalem was the spot to be for the Jew. It was in Psalm 48, it's called the city of our God, the great king. Jerusalem was known as the city of our God. The temple was the epicenter of Jerusalem especially for those who were religious, right? It was the place of sacrifice. It was a place where they would bring their sacrifices for their sins. And Passover, one of you know, it's one of the three big feasts that the Jews would, would celebrate. And the Passover, if you remember, way back in Exodus, you remember back there where Moses had had the final thing to, arrow, uh, to Pharaoh, and he said that there's going to be this taking of the first child, the first of your child would be taken. And you remember he said, I want you to do this. I want you to slaughter a lamb, take hyssop, dip it in the blood, put it on the threshold of the door, and when that death spirit comes through, he will pass over you. And then you are to take off for the promised land, leave Egypt. Remember, 400 years they had been in slavery and this is the time where God is going to save them. So this is why Passover was a big deal. It was a time to come celebrate. 
I was reading just a little bit about the history of this. During this time, Josephus wrote about this. He said, there were two, this is one of the Passovers. They counted 256,000 lambs slaughtered on that Passover. They say an average of 10 people per lamb. That's 2.5 million people were there to celebrate Passover. And the reason I share that is to realize how many people were in Jerusalem when Jesus, is. that's the timing for him to come in because it was all prophesied that that was going to happen. But here Jesus is coming in, final week. He has his 12 apostles. He has his disciples that have been following him, that we've been reading these 20 chapters. He has these people that have been healed, and they're following, and there's crowds coming from Galilee with him through to coming into that. And then I want to look at verse 1 through 6 again. We're going to just break it down, but look at it again. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage, On the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. He said, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt of the foal of a donkey. Now, what we don't read here, because in Luke, he describes that when Jesus gets ready to walk into Jerusalem, it says that he weeps, he cries, because he knows what's going to happen. He knows, this is God, remember, but he knows what's going, he's going to face. He knows what's going to happen with the Jewish people. So there's sorrow in his heart. But Jesus, here's of your note taker, I think his first point about these first six verses are very important. Jesus deliberately claimed in these verses to be the Messiah and the King. Now, see, most of those people there were not followers of Jesus. They were Jews. They were not following him. But Jesus is deliberately fulfilling the direct prophecy of Zechariah. Listen to Zechariah and see if it sounds at all about what we just read. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah prophesied this return of God. And it would be in a time when all were coming to worship. So there's these these prophecies that are being unfolded when Jesus comes in. Jesus deliberately claims to be the fulfillment of that great vision of God that all of those Jews knew. They knew Zechariah. They know these scriptures. They've heard these or have some read, but back then they were told a lot of this. So they knew these. Yet Jesus deliberately comes, and this is the right timing because it's God's timing, Yet he comes in humility. Now we see he's riding on a borrowed young donkey. If you read some of the other Gospels, it says it's a donkey that had never been ridden. It's the full, it's the brand, it's the youngest. And you remember, Jesus is coming in right now with peace. But what were they looking for? They were looking for somebody to come in with victory and power, right? The Jews were saying, when the Messiah comes, it's going to look a lot different than a donkey that's coming in humble. It's going to come more like Jesus says he's coming back at his second coming. 
Do you remember how he comes in? He comes to make war. He comes to make judgment and stop rebellion, and he's coming on a white horse. A lot different. Look at verse 7 through 9. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks, or the clothes, on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Some were just laying out their clothes on there, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Jesus not only deliberately claimed to be the Messiah and King, but the crowds from Galilee were agreeing. They were agreeing as they were shouting his coming in. Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Somebody share. Lord, save us. Save us. Save us, please. Right? They've been looking for that Savior. They've been trying to find it. They had get it. These ones that were following him closely, they knew this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. But you got to think of how many people were in that village at that time swelling with people. They say five times more than ever would be during the Passover. They treated Jesus like a victorious king. They praised the Messiah, the promised king, that he was the one that was going to rescue us. But this was a dramatic entrance for Jesus because every time we see Jesus do something, he says, shh, 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 don't tell. Or be silent. Don't, 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 don't share this. But now he leads the people to make the claim as he comes in. Look at verse 10 and 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was, underline this, stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, oh, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I want you to imagine this. It's not hard to imagine because it was just a few weeks ago. But imagine the Super Bowl at SoFi, Okay. Imagine being there. A lot of us watch the game. I'm not going to raise your hand because maybe some of you did and some didn't. But a lot of you watch the game, right? There's 80,000 people in attendance besides a lot more. There's probably 90,000 people at that game. That's not 2 million, but that's a lot. You can imagine because you saw the game. It's a lot of people. Can you imagine? Game hadn't started yet. You know, you're waiting for the teams, right? You're waiting for the, for the Rams to come out or the Bengals to come out, whatever. So you're like excited about this game that you've paid so much money for. And all of a sudden, the com color commentary guys are, what is that coming through there? Is that a guy on a donkey? What are they doing laying all this stuff? And they're yelling, save us, save us. Well, I don't know what this guy is, but he needs to leave. This is a football game. It's kind of extreme, but you get it. You get what they were, what they were doing. And, and the commentaries, you can imagine them saying, who is this? Just like the people were saying, who is this? Well, the city was troubled. They didn't know. Remember, there was a crowd that was following him. They're the ones that had been following Jesus. But the rest of the Jews were going, who is this? Who is this that's praising? The majority of Jerusalem were very skeptical. And they're probably the same ones they were questioning it, that were saying crucify him a little bit later in the week, right? But it says stirred. I looked this up in the Greek, and I'm not going to say what it is because I can't say it. Even though I took some Greek and Hebrew, but stirred is the same word as the earth, the earth shook when Jesus died. 
It's the same word the guards said they trembled when the angels rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb. It says they were stirred. They were like, what is going on? What is this? They asked. Now, this what is this is not what is this. It is what is this? I like that, like I was saying about the football. What is this? It's an objection rather than seeking information. What is this? What are you doing in our city? Look at verse 11. Jesus enters the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers, which is directly from Jeremiah chapter 7, that they've heard this too. Now, what I want you to know is there was a point, I'm going to use a dollar instead of a shekel. I don't know. I think they use a shekel, so I don't know what it is. I've I've been there, but I don't know what it is. But they, let's just say uh, doves, okay? So you've traveled from afar. Everyone wants to go to Jerusalem one point in their life. Even Jews today want to be in Jerusalem for Passover. That's just one of their bucket lists, right? And some would go often. And so some would travel from afar, and they couldn't, their, their animals, they couldn't get them there, right? So they would have to come in to purchase them. If they went on this side of the temple over here, a two a doves, two doves, because you had to sacrifice two, Two doves were $7. But you come on this side within the temple, the holy area, $75 for those same two doves. Jesus didn't like this. They're making money on a sacrifice to God. You're messing with my house. That's what he was talking about. So he overturns the temple authorities and allowing Jesus is now saying he claims highest authority over the Jews. That's what he was claiming. That you have no authority in my house. He's stating it, right? He's stating this Messiah Godship when he's speaking like this. But yet, we see that Jesus was a little bit angry. And a lot of people take this, they take this and they're going, well, Jesus was angry. That's why I can do this or this and be mad. That's not reasons for that. Don't ever use that out of context. Jesus was angry, but Ephesians 4, 2 says, be angry and sin not. We never saw Jesus sin. Often our anger, we, it turns to sin. It turns to hatred. It turns to something. So don't ever use that. Don't be angry. Work on that. Go to anger man- management. See counseling. That's another story. But this dis- disrupted the temple. They're there to worship God. They're there to do the sacrifices. Here is this guy this carpenter coming in here, and he's trying to overthrow this Rome. And then he begins to say, he begins to heal. Look at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and healed them. Were the blind and the lame supposed to even be in the temple area? No. Somehow they snuck in. I don't, we don't know how. But it says the blind and the lame would normally never be allowed in there. But they came to Jesus, and he heals each one of those in the temple. Totally not supposed to happen, but he's doing it. He's claiming authority as God. Now in the temple itself, Jesus is doing this healing. Look at verse 15, 16. 
But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children were shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear these children and what they're saying? They asked him, yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read, and he quotes Psalm 8-2, which again, they know these words, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. He's claiming that he's the Lord. He is telling these Jews he is the Lord. The Jewish leaders were very troubled by miracles were not supposed to happen in the temple, by children praising Jesus in the temple, Their questions is more of a demand. Stop now, Jesus. His actions are saying that he's the Messiah. And they did not want that. They did not want that. Look at this last verse. 17 says, He left them, and he went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. He needed a response. Having confronted the leaders, Jesus gave them time to think before he had heard the response. So he leaves Bethany, spends the night outside of Jerusalem, but he comes back. Now, Andrew will speak on this next week, but I'm going to give you one verse. It's verse 23 because it's the response. In verse 23, it says, The next day Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching... The chief priests and the elders, the Sadducees and Pharisees, the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? They questioned everything about the actions that Jesus had proclaimed, that he was the Messiah. But yet, they're listening And knowing that he's saying he is God's Messiah, the promised king. He has authority over the temple. And he deserves praise as God in the temple. And they were not happy. So what do they do with that? They either have to submit completely to Jesus or they reject it. So here's the big deal for us. Here's the thing I want you to get get from this. I hope you do. Here's the big idea. Jesus is God the king over all including every part of our lives. Now, you can't just hear that. I want you to believe that Jesus is God and King over all. Not some, over all, including every part of my life. Who gets to rearrange the furniture in my house? Who gets to break down the walls? Who can tell us to move? Who gets to rearrange my life? Jesus' desire is to take claim over us. That's his desire. You come to him, let him have you. He wants the lives of his people, not a portion of it, not 80%. He wants all of us. Jesus says, he says this in Matthew 19. We read this a few weeks ago. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? He's talking about possessions. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus desires total claim over your family and your culture, cultural values. Another disciple said to him in Matthew 8, 
Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus desires total claim over our life itself. When he stated in Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So Jesus has promised to those to bow to him. For those of us, most of us in this room, they've said, I give my life to you. He promises this, and we're going to study this in weeks to come. Matthew 25, to those who submit to Jesus, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share my master's happiness. That's if we just bow our heads to the Lord and say, come into my life. I want you to come in. I want you to deal with my internal sides, my heart. When we bow to him, we expect honor and authority and blessing and love and happiness because we read it throughout the scripture that we get to gain that on this earth, also in heaven, but right here on this earth, we get to enjoy that. When Jesus rearranges the furniture of our lives, it is not to take from us It is to give us far more. It's to give us so much more. So the big idea, again, is Jesus is God, the king over all, including every part of our lives. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this this morning? Submit every part of your life to Jesus. Not part. I'm talking your health. I'm talking about If you're single, you're married, your children, no children, I don't care what it is. I say you, everything. All of us have a little thing that we kind of hold on to, and it may be in a little closet. He's saying, I want everything. I want your life. I want all of it. Submit every part of our life to Jesus. He is God. Absolutely. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, How will he not also, along with him, generously give us all things? He gave his son. He gave his absolute best. He wants to give us all wonderful things. So to treat Jesus as merely an advisor, I just need a good advisor as I go to prayer. Or a helper in time of need. Or maybe that Sunday morning focus guy, you miss the best gift he wants to give. It's all the time. He wants to give you everything. He wants to bless you. When Jesus rearranged the furniture of our lives, it's not to take from us. It is to give us far more than that. Matthew 16 is one of the last verses. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it? For me to, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit my soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is coming in, wait, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 
So here's your application again. One more thing. Submit every part of your life to him. Every part. Is there something you're holding on to? Is there something you're holding back? Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's relationships, abilities, passions, identity, hopes, dreams. Maybe it's bad things. Maybe it's fear, anger, regrets, grief. Maybe it's pride. What are you holding back from Jesus? Jesus gives life and freedom and joy, and that is found only in him. You can go through the worst thing of your life, but you have Jesus with you. You will find joy. That's not giggly, happy, because I'm going through this, but it's this joy that wells up in me because of Jesus that lives in me. Matthew 19, 29 says, And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Wow. Last thing to share with you is submit every part of your life again to Jesus. Every part. Rejoice that no other power is as powerful as the Jesus that you serve. No other power. There's no human or demonic power. There's no government that's more powerful. Nothing can resist the power of Jesus. Nothing. You've got to understand that. Jesus has to take you when you find out there's cancer in your life. He has to walk you through that. It can't just be that spouse. Then you find victory in it. And you're going, I know I'm in this. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to face. We just prayed with a young lady earlier that's going through a devastation time of her life this week. But she knows there's hope in Jesus, and that's why she asked for prayer. But I'm telling you, the power of Jesus is more powerful than any nation. We know what's going on in the other, other country right now. We know what's going on within our country. There's a lot going on right now. You guys have been watching the news. I'm not going to go there. But nations, for, for Jesus, a drop of bucket. He redirects the hearts of kings. He can send or stop armies in earthquakes. Jesus can send or stop disease and overcome death itself. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing. Jesus is God the King over all, including every part of our lives. He has come to give life and joy to all who submit to Him as king over all. Let's pray. Get in your posture of prayer. Father, our hearts are tender for you. We hear your word, and we know that, Father, we say when your word is read, or we read it, it penetrates our heart. So, Father, I just pray right now that as in this quiet time, I pray right now, God, we just, in our, with our eyes closed, that we focus in on your eyes right now. As if we just saw Jesus walk through our, from our exit door straight into this room, and Jesus stops, and he's looking directly into my eyes. And he's beginning to ask, why aren't you giving everything to me? Why are you holding back some elements of your life? Some of you may need to say, Lord, forgive me for some sin in my life. 
I confess this sin to you right now. Some of you, it could be something that happened last night or this week or this last month or something you're going through personally, something that you just had hatred or you, you've killed someone in, in your heart. And maybe it's that, Lord, forgive me for my attitude. For some of us, we've got that little closet I talked about. That little area, maybe it's the closet I'll let you open, but then that little box that's in the top corner on the right that I just don't want to give you. Jesus said this morning, I want it all. I want that closet. I want it opened. I want the box. I want it opened. And freely give that to the Lord. And guess what? We know that Jesus says, I forgive you. You're free. Enjoy my happiness. Enjoy the things I want to give you. Enjoy life and freedom. Father, I know that some of us are holding on to old guilt. And maybe it was a father or someone that did something to them 20 years ago. And it's like, I can't forgive them anymore because they're not here. Father, all we got to do right now is just talk to you and say, God, I forgive them for what they did to me. And I want to be in, I want to give that place back to you. Father, restore all the loss I had. Help me today to be renewed in you. Father, I just pray that my brothers and sisters here are as they're walking this journey right now with you, as they're working through their own thoughts, help them, Father, to find closure in some things in their life and realize closure means I give everything, give my all to Jesus, and that's enough. That's the power I needed. Father, we thank you for this. Come and share the Master's happiness. Come and share the Master's joy. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.